You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Hello, and welcome back to episode number 31 of the Between You and Me podcast. Today is a very special day. Because we just turned one. That's right. We have been on the air for a year and it is all thanks to you guys. So thank you for listening and joining in our conversations as we talk to musicians about the things that hurt, heal and change us in the music industry and with faith and Christian culture in general. Thank you for 31 coffee dates, as we like to call them, and for taking the time every couple of weeks to press play and hear an Aussie speak to her new friend across the world somewhere as we share the things that matter to us. I appreciate it, and you guys are champions. New episode today with some amazing guests, but can we just do a really quick news wrap-up? Because in the last two weeks, it feels like Christian and evangelical culture has exploded. Beth Moore and John MacArthur. I know this is like old news, right? John MacArthur, a well-known minister, told Beth Moore, a well-known female preacher, to quote-unquote go home. And the world, rightly, was like, whoa, hold the phone there. It was just a huge display of patriarchal things. Oh, it was disgusting. The cool thing is that numerous people across denominations and across a spectrum of sort of values and, and political views in the church spoke up against it and said that was entirely inappropriate and disgusting. You have already heard undoubtedly a ton about what has happened with Beth Moore. And honestly, she's a strong woman. She can stand up for herself. She's incredible. But one of the best write-ups and summaries I read was by Sarah Bessie, who is the author of Jesus Feminist brilliant brilliant wrap up so if you would like to read that and want some more info check it the link out in our bio did you hear that kanye thinks jesus is lord how great is that i mean if this hasn't been blowing up your social media feeds i don't know what has it seems the entire world is just like you know like the emoji where your brain explodes that was the world when kanye releases new music and i think kanye likes that Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know much at all about hip-hop and I am not a huge Kanye fan purely because I've never followed that style of music. So I am not the person to give you an expertise or even a really informed opinion on what I think of it. People have come out against each side being like, how dare you say this against him? Why aren't we celebrating the fact that we've got a new brother in Christ? And then there are other people being like, but he represents this political ideology and what about what he said about slavery and all sorts of things. So what I'm going to do as well is link you to an article I read by Shane Claiborne. He wrote an opinion piece where he actually discussed the nuance of Kanye's album and why people are having a trouble with the new faith that he has personally and politically and culturally. I really appreciated it as someone who isn't super familiar with Kanye's former music. So if you want to hit the link and read that just for another point of view, go for it. We had our friends at God is a Dad podcast. They're big time fans of Kanye and they actually did a whole podcast episode on it, which is on my to listen list. But I asked people, how does Jesus as King rate A musically, B lyrically and C theologically? Because we can all agree that they're three different things, right? You can have a really theological album that sucks musically 
or a really like amazing synth musical cool produced album that has like next to no lyrical content that's great and then the theological context of it i mean like whoa way to blow things out of the water but our friends at god is a dad they talked about the fact that they thought it's not in the top half of kanye's work that it's pretty vanilla standard and that they're excited to hear kanye's reflections on faith as he grows and knows god on a deeper level i agree from what i've heard it's pretty base level even if it is true. Um, but, you know, theologically, rise the best part, God is a dad just said, I think we can all agree that God is good, right? If so, then he's spot on. Yes, God is good. I think we can agree with that. Yes! Do you follow Kirk Franklin on Instagram? Because if you don't, please go. Just go hit that follow button right now and go view his video because he came out in the last week with a pivotal statement about the Dove Awards. Now the Dove Awards, if you don't know, is essentially the Christian Grammys. People have varying opinions on it, but if you work in the Christian music industry, this is like the ultimate. Anyway, Kirk recently received an award at the latest Dove Awards, which happened last week. Super, super well-deserved. In his speech, he actually talked about police brutality and talked about prayer and things like that. Things that were really important this cultural moment and that honestly in an industry that's dominated by a lot of people who are Caucasian we could really be learning and listening a lot to that broadcast went to air and that part of his speech was cut out not a good move I think we can all agree on that and as he revealed in his statement to us early this week by his social media this is actually the second time the Dove Awards have cut such an imperative statement about race brutality quality things like that from his speeches and after a process of talking to mentors, to friends and praying, he actually stated that he would not be attending the Dove Awards until they make systematic change and prove that they actually have a course of action to address the racial inequality in the industry. Some people were really surprised by what Kirk said and were really taken aback by it because, I mean, essentially the church is meant to be something for everyone right so shouldn't the christian music industry reflect that but we all know it doesn't that's one of the reasons we started this podcast right so it's been really interesting having conversations with you guys about what you think and how you feel there were a couple of people who spoke up about this backing kirk we had people like alex medina who was a producer for lecrae who used to work in christian music on wonder awards actually talk about the fact on twitter that he left the christian music industry because he felt like it was something that was holding up this white supremacy type ideal and then we had lecrae drop a video as well where he talked about it the Dove Awards or the Gospel Music Association have responded to Kirk in an official statement, which I will link in the show notes along with the video of Kirk's actual statement that you can read. It's mind-blowing that all this stuff is happening at the same time. In the last what, two months, we have talked about, in the evangelical culture, racial inequality, male and female dominance and privilege, gender bias, politics... This is stuff that has been under the surface for so long and somehow in the last two to three months it has just risen up and overflown. We legitimately start a podcast to evangelical culture news every week if we really wanted to because there is so much upheaval going on at the moment. It's ridiculous but I'm glad it's happening 
because we're actually talking about things and it's making so many of us uncomfortable. It's made me check my privilege. It's made me go, oh my gosh, what do I miss? What don't I know? What can I learn? And how can I take responsibility for myself and in my professional career, including this podcast, in actually being more like Jesus and in being more open? It's huge. It's challenging. And I am so glad that as I realized on social media this week, a ton of us are on the same journey. And I really appreciate that we can do it together. The last piece of news is something that was really sad, but I really, really want to pay our respects. We had a couple of people in the music industry um, lose children this past week. Toby Mac's son, True, passed away tragically, really unexpectedly. He was 21. Then we had Micah Stampley's daughter, Mary, who actually passed away and she was just 15. That happened in a space of about two days. It's just tragic. Um, and on behalf of the whole Between You and Me family and, and just people everywhere, we are so sorry. And to my friends and our friends who um, are also grieving at the moment uh, for their own children, I'm so sorry. I don't pretend to have words for that, but I want to acknowledge that. Okay, on a lighter note, we do have a new episode for you, episode 31, and it's really cool after like all this upheaval in the Christian music industry because today's episode is with two people who are like, I wouldn't really say cornerstones in Christian music. They are like forerunners of Christian contemporary dance pop music. They are called Bliss Bliss. You may have never heard of them unless you were a really keen fan of Christian sophista pop. That's a thing. In the 90s, when they released their first album, it was actually called Bliss Bliss, self-titled, 95. The cover is pure gold, my friends. You will see it on our Instagram. Bliss Bliss is made up of Renee Garcia Bliss, who was actually a Christian singer. She had two amazing albums in her own right in the late 80s. And then her husband, Lang Bliss, who is also a musician, a producer, Grammy-nominated, all of the above. Separately, these guys are incredibly accomplished, nuanced, talented musicians. Together, they are dynamite. And today, they are telling us all about their careers separately, how they both grew up in different parts of the industry. Renee was actually recruited as a background singer for Amy Grant. On the other hand, we also have Lang, and he is so accomplished in his own right. Like I said, he has been nominated for Grammys for being part of different bands and as a songwriter for, before, but he has also written for Rich Mullins. Yes, the Rich Mullins. And they both also worked with David Meese, who is Christian music royalty. These guys are incredible. And after they got married, they actually started their own band, hence Bliss Bliss. And now in 2019, they're back and they have a whole lifetime of amazing, beautiful experiences to give us. And they're legitimately creating this like new niche genre. Please meet music royalty, Renee Garcia Bliss and Lang Bliss. Renee Garcia Bliss and Lang Bliss are individual stars each in their own right. Between them, they have made music for eight decades, released six albums and EPs, and have performed, co-written or produced on ten more releases. 
From the days of big hair and bluesy guitars in the 80s to the current musical landscape filled with synth beats, Renee and Lang have done it all, both launching their individual music careers in the 80s before their paths collided and they got married, becoming a force to be reckoned with personally and professionally. Renee Garcia was recruited as a backup singer for Amy Grant in the late 80s. She went on to tour the world with Amy four separate tours, including a performance at the Grammys, sold out, arena, sold out stadiums, and competing with the likes of Prince and Madonna as one of music's biggest names. Renee was a superstar in her own right though, and she went on to be signed to a record deal with the famous Reunion Records. She became one of the first artists to introduce dance music to contemporary Christian music. And her first solo album, Living in Vertical, dropped in 1987. It was followed by 1988, A Different World, which also turned into a massive success, not just because their covers are iconic. Again, linking in social media. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Renee appeared on stage and television across the world. And her song Perfection from her second album reached the number two position and the accompanying video reached number one on the video charts. It was during the release of Renee's first album that Lang Bliss encountered the rising Christian music star. With a repertoire already distinguished by his time touring the world when he performed 500 shows a year for four years, Lang worked with their mutual friend David Meese and they both went on to contribute to the legendary Rich Mullins 1987 album Pictures in the Sky with Lang co-writing the track could be a celebration and Renee contributing background vocals. After Lang and Renee began dating, they worked together on her second album. Meanwhile, Lang was also a member of the band Jeff Moore and The Distance and toured on and off with this band before and after they were married. During his time with Jeff Moore and The Distance, Lang received numerous Grammy nominations in addition to an earlier nomination for Best Christian Rock Song as a songwriter. With their careers pulling them apart, Renee and Lang came together to form the ultimate musical duo in the early 90s. They called themselves Bliss Bliss, and they melded rock, Motown, and dance to create a new sound. They signed to BMG Records, and their self-titled debut came out under REX Records. The lead single, Fight for Peace, peaked at number one on the CHR chart in 1994. After years firmly entrenched in the music industry, producing, writing, gigging, and working in prison ministry, Bliss Bliss dropped their follow-up EP just last year in 2018. Title 3, the EP boasted songs like Unshakable, Unstoppable and I'm Coming Through, all which peaked on dance charts worldwide. Unshakable went on to reach number 15 on the Billboard dance charts, resulting in numerous remixes with people like Bimbo Jones, Dirt Disco and Paul Goodyear. Their single, What's Going On, a version of the classic Motown hit by Marvin Gaye, just released today. And it is the first track of their upcoming EP that will be with us in 2020. The single sets Bliss Bliss up as one of the hottest new sophisticated pop dance groups on the scene. Sure, it's ironic considering the wealth of experience that Renee and Lang have and it comes out with every riff and vocal run you hear. But the great thing about Renee and Lang is that they are in a new season musically and they can't wait to introduce their niche genre to the world. I spoke to Renee and Lang from their hometown of Nashville, Tennessee about their roots in the music industry, why their mission has never actually been to remain in Christian music and how they've made a career and a marriage last over the highs and lows of many years in the industry. Guys, meet some of the forerunners of modern Christian music. This is Bliss Bliss. Just for our 
people who are listening who perhaps have never met you before for some strange reason, could you both introduce yourself separately? Tell me how you got your start in the music industry. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, I'm Renee Bliss, and uh, I started, well, pretty much growing up as a kid, I, I loved music. I, I always loved music and really, you know, wanted to be a singer, wanted to grow up to be a singer. Um, how I got my start was in professional music is I moved to Nashville back in like the early eighties. Um, yeah, it was January of 1984 and I was in town for, I think almost like a month. And in that month I ended up auditioning for the background, a background vocal position with Amy Grant on her straight ahead tour. And within a couple of months of just literally being here in Nashville for a couple of months, I ended up uh, going out on the road with her um, in, in the spring of 1984. And that was my, like uh, one of my first, my big first major uh, start in music was with her as a background singer. Prior to that, I was with an artist by the name of David Meese. Oh yes. Uh, in white, and Whiteheart was when I when I went out with David Meese. Whiteheart was the band on that specific tour, so that was my like jump in the deep end of the pool experience. Yeah, getting in music, you know, That's on a professional amazing. level. Yeah, it was. It's pretty. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Lang? How did you get your start in the music industry? Yeah, so my name is Lang Bliss, and I moved to Nashville from California in August of 85, and it was because some friends of mine, actually, uh, the bass player for David Meese, <laughs> after Renee had, was, she had moved on to Amy, but the bass player in David's band was an old friend of mine, mm -hmm. and the guy who was road managing David as well, they were brothers, and we had worked together in a company prior, a music company. Um, to that and they said hey man you ought to move here to Nashville you know you could probably be playing drums and I was living in California at the time out in the Bay Area and um, and uh, so I thought well shoot what the heck and I uh, moved to Nashville and uh, the first gig I actually professional gig I got in Nashville was with um, Rich Mullins playing drums wow so, um, yeah it was amazing and um, we toured a bit with around the Midwest and just different places and it was great playing with Rich became good friends and so that was my first kind of gig in CCM so to speak yep that's incredible and I love how even before you guys met your paths were nearly crossing it's so ironic yeah. oh yeah yeah it was funny here's a here's a funny story so I was living in California at the time and those two brothers who were playing for David said, "Man, you got to go see this um, this friend of ours, really good friend of ours. She's singing background for this girl named Amy Grant." No, who's like, Amy Grant? You know, <laughs> I didn't know who she was. You know, and then I was in a record store, and I'm like, I walk in there, and I see all these like flyers, you know, the big panels hanging down of this girl named Amy Grant, and I thought, well, there was an artist I was really into at the time. Uh, named uh, Philip Bailey, who at the time, Phil Collins had produced Philip Bailey's 
had a big single and produced this record. It was Chinese Wall, right? Yeah, it was, it was a, Chinese it was Wall. Chinese Wall, yeah. And the big single was Easy Lover. And uh, and so I thought, man, I'll go see Philip Bailey. Because he was opening at the time well, on that tour. Yeah. See, the thing is, I didn't know that. I yeah. thought that I'm going like, <laughs> Philip Bailey's huge. Amy Grant, who's she? She's got to be opening for <laughs> so him. So good. And I get to... I get to the show and it's the exact opposite. Bill, Philip Bailey was opening for Amy Grant. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And they said, well, uh, look at the background singer. She's one of the background singers, you know? So when I got there, so I, I saw Renee on stage singing for Amy Grant. And then two weeks later, I moved to Nashville and she met her because she was hanging out with this mutual friend right. of ours. Mm-hmm. So it was weird. It was like, it was odd for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like you're a big star. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. So you, you guys, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, you released your first single album as Bliss Bliss in the mid-90s. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. So how did yep. you both go from having your own individual, individual careers in music to dating to starting your own band? Also a good question. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, you know, interesting, it, very interestingly, you know, we, there was a time period when we first got married where we were really like, it was literally like he'd come home from being out on the road and I'd be leaving and then it would, you know, the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. And it, we had been, you know, we had done, Lang actually wrote, we actually wrote some of the songs on my solo records. First ones, yeah. The first, the first couple of records I did with Reunion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Lang was involved with some of the songwriting on it. Not all of it, but some of the songwriting. He actually played some on. Um, he, he came the over to England. Yeah. yeah, in the second record, he played some some uh, simple work. He did some simple work, and I think did you do percussion too or not? I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway. So he was involved, and we were writing, and and we really wanted to be doing music together because we both have, you know, very different musical backgrounds. Um, I grew up listening a lot to like Motown and R and B and soul music, and that was as well as pop music, but really, really steep, pretty deep in R and B music. And he came from a progressive rock. Uh, well, I wouldn't say completely progressive rock background, but, you know, rock and pop and that kind of stuff. And it, it, you know, that seems like that wouldn't fit as far as creativity goes, but we found that it it really did. We had a lot in common on the musical front. And so we really, it was our decision to move in the direction of doing a music career together, as opposed to trying to do it, him doing, you know, trying to be a drummer in other bands and, you know, me doing my solo career. I, I think we also felt like, I, you know, the, the music industry is a, we had some wonderful experiences there, but, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. but you know, no record label's going to jump up and down when, <laughs> you know, the husband and the wife are saying, we need to spend more time together, um, you know, which means you won't be able to have her, or, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, scheduling-wise as easily. And so we just felt like we just to be honest i think we we kind of felt like if we want to have a long-term lasting marriage it just seemed to us that um we were going to eventually have to do something together because we just saw a lot of 
you know, decisions as the years went by having to be, I had to be this place and she had to be that place. And we just thought, man, you know, in the long run, we better, we better focus more on ourselves and, and being together. But we wanted to do music, obviously. So it was, it was kind of a decision that was creative, but it was also driven by a commitment to stay really faithful to each other in terms of believing that that would be the way that our marriage would stay strong you know, through the years. You took me in when I had nowhere to go. Made a place of rest for my weary soul. Hear my cry. Take my life. And let it be a stronghold of true liberty. how the vision for Bliss Bliss was different from your like individual careers and for lack of a better term, you like your own brand and sound or style songwriting. I did my first record over in England and my producer was named Chris Eaton. And my second record as well was part of it was done in, in the States and part of it was over in England. It was very dance oriented. Uh, it very much, you know, was high energy, um, dance music, uh, which was at the time, you know, this is the eighties. So, you know, dance music, as far as the pop market went, was pretty, pretty big. Mm -hmm. And there were a few artists in the Christian market doing dance music. And I was one of them. Uh, so our music that we do today has elements of, uh, it's, it's groove oriented. You can dance to it. Um, it's a lot more, uh, instead of using programming in it, we use mostly, uh, live, we play it live. That's awesome. I was going to say the thing, going back to what she was talking about, the differences of where we came from, we, we found that the areas that we, we both agreed or both liked music was bigger really than the places where we didn't agree or Mm -hmm. didn't like it. She liked rock. I liked rock. She liked R&B. I liked R&B. Right. I listened to Earth, Wind & Fire and the Ohio Players and Average White Band and groups like that. And that was, I loved that music. So there was a lot more that we found we had in common. And so we began sort of like figuring out, okay, well, how do we come up with a sound, so to speak, that's based on all of our mutual likes? And that began, or that helped us kind of focus on right. where, where we were going to go with it musically and mm-hmm. writing wise. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So I know that when we drop this episode, you will have just officially released uh, your new single, which yes. is what's going on. Can you tell me about the choice to record that song? Cause it's so iconic. Why was it something that stood out to you guys that you wanted to have your own version of? Well, <laughs> it, this, us doing Oh, this is Us doing the song, What's Going On, it has kind of on its own taken on its own life mm-hmm. because we recorded, we actually recorded this song over, I can't remember how long it's been, but it's been. It was, it was February of 2018. It was February oh, wow. of 2018. And 
we didn't really put a whole lot of thought in it. We just, what we were doing at the time is we were videotaping us with playing with our band, with a band. And we thought, hey, it'd be kind of cool to get a video of us doing one of our original songs. And hey, let's do a cover. Let's do what what's going on. And that was the cover we chose to do because it's, it, like you said, it's an iconic song. I remember, I remember that song as a kid. Lo- I loved Motown music. So, and Lang also yeah, loved love, Motown. Yeah, love and that. we just thought, hey, this be a fun song to do. How it ended up becoming a single that we released now was because a friend of ours happened to hear it. And he's like, oh my gosh, I love this. And we'll get to this, I guess, later on in the conversation. But he uh, played it for a DJ who does dance remixes. From Australia. From no Australia. way. Yeah, right. from Sydney. Yeah. And he just totally freaked out over it and said, hey, I want to do a dance remix. And then, so it kind of, that was the ball that started rolling. So it ended up turning out, we weren't planning on it being on our next EP, which is going to be coming out like in the mid-March next year, we weren't planning at all for having what's going on actually be a part of that grouping of songs, but it just sort of started to take off among the people that had heard it. And we, you know, they liked the original, well, you know, they liked our cover version of the song. Um, You know, I think maybe the, Maybe because there's a female uh, vocalist on it, you know, it gives a little bit of a twist that's different. Yeah. But yeah, we we're kind of scratching our heads a little bit with it because it was not meant to to be anything other than hey, we did a video and did a song, we did a cover of the song. What's we were going really on? just we were really <laughs> just creating it for content yeah. on our on our website and yeah. YouTube and all of that just to kind of keep in between. Uh, projects yeah just sort of in between the release of things we wanted to have some more content <laughs> yeah and then it turned into this whole thing so yeah you see that war is not the answer about this EP you've both have been have been making music for quite a long time and have had so many stories to tell what's different or new about Bliss Bliss in this season now that's a loaded question I think um I think this project this EP the songs on it are maybe a little more gosh I don't want to say rock. It's definitely not more rock, but it's it's got a little bit more edge to it right. than mm-hmm. the last EP, and it's a little you know a little less smooth in terms of kind of the songwriting and the approach and um, and so uh, lyric. I think it you know probably every every artist creative people say this all the time. And that is this is probably our best stuff ever. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, yes, they're, they're latest. Yeah, their latest projects, their best stuff. But 
I feel, I think both of us feel like this is some of the best songwriting we've, we've done, yeah. um, both musically and lyrically. And we've, um, it was, it was just so much fun to go into the studio with, well, our, our son Zane played bass yeah. and a really good friend of ours was on guitar and, um, kind of a new good friend of ours was playing keys. And so we just went into the studio and tracked all six songs in one day wow. and just, you know, did it all live, and, you know, tracked everything. And then, so that's the way we did our last EP as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, after the first EP, which was, to be honest with you, you know, we, when we've done records in the past, it, we've kind of pieced it together like yeah, a puzzle. Right. So what you would do is you, you'd lay down your basic tracks and then you'd have different people come in and change this and that, you know, but you wouldn't do it together. You would do it separate. And so this, so on the, the, the experience on our, on our EP three was we went into a, you know, we had everybody tracking this songs at the same time. That's what they used to do when they cut that pop. Was the norm. That was the norm back in like, you know, the 60s, 70s. Like bands just would go 80s. into the studio and they would just all play together. And then we had the advent of, of, you know, being able to do electronic music, drum machines and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't require everybody being in the room at the same time necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I think after that experience, uh, we kind of thought, you know, that worked. So it was such a risk for us because it was real scary because you're going, okay, we only have a day to do this. So hopefully everybody's going to come in, play their parts, and it's going to go, it's going to go to down wonderfully. And in, in, in our case, on three, it did. So when we, so after having the confidence of having that experience, when we went in to do the second, the second grouping of songs for the, the EP that's coming out in mid-March, it was like, it, it happened again. And we're really, really happy with the way that the tracks turned out and very happy about the lyrical direction of the, the new songs. And, uh, I'm it just feels like the next step it, for us. It just, yeah. Musically, it's a little different, but it still it feels definitely like our stuff, but just another step forward for us musically. Right. There's an agent down, don't know conversation to talk about one of our amazing sponsors do you create wedding videos podcasts ads content maybe even one of those slideshows while you're trying to move your church into the 21st century well soundstripe is the answer to all your problems the ultimate music stock site made for video producers they offer a great variety of high quality royalty free songs and have an unlimited licensing model this is literally one of a kind in the industry 
And that is because it was created by musicians. With a monthly or yearly fee, you have unlimited access to world-class music. We are talking composers like Aaron Sprinkle and Matt Winton. Every time you license a song through Soundstripe, the royalty goes straight back to the musician. With curator playlist, new music every week, and more than 30,000 special effects. This is the ultimate source of music for creatives. Trust me, I've been using this since day one with Between You and Me, and I can tell you that any background music you are hearing comes directly from Soundstripe. They are absolutely incredible. When you sign up for Soundstripe today, you can get 10% off using the code UMEPOD. That is soundstripe.com with the code UMEPOD. And now back to the show. What would you guys say would be the key to your longevity in the industry? Wow, I, I. <laughs> Sorry, hard know, questions. It's funny that you know you you. How did you say it? You know, longevity yes. in the industry. You know, it's. Uh, I, I, it doesn't feel that way to us in in a lot of ways, and I don't mean to diminish. No, it's okay. That, that way of looking at it, uh, because I think there is truth to it. Um, but the industry has changed so radically from when Renee was signed to her record deal, when right. we were signed to our first mm-hmm. record deal, when I was playing drums, she was singing backgrounds. You know, that was the old record industry for the most part. And really, we just have kind of hung on, you know, more based on the belief that this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're called to this. Mm-hmm. It's It's really a God thing for us. It's really not as much about we believe our talent is amazing and the world's got to hear it. It's, it's more just that this, I don't know how to explain it except to say that this is just what we feel like we we're supposed to do. And so we've kind of got there by uh, hook or crook. Is that the phrase? You know, yeah, <laughs> no, I think what, you know, some, some days, you know, it's ups and downs. It's like, you're going, yeah, this is great. And what am I? And then the next thing is like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? Yeah. I keep doing this. But I think it's like when you're a person, a creative person, I think you have to learn it. I think you have to look at it more like it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's a marathon and not a sprint because as a young, as a younger artist, I'll speak for myself. Um, there was a lot of naivety there. You know, when I was an artist and I was on the record label, I had a lot of people that were holding my hand and helping me walk through the process of putting out music. And I appreciate that. And as years went on, it started to kind of feel like I was starting to step into my own identity as a singer and as a songwriter. You know, there was a confidence that came with just somewhat trial and error. You know, it's like keeping at it. You keep, you keep going, you keep, you keep honing your skill. You keep, and you know the you thing about to, the thing about it is there's not always going to be somebody in the corner cheering you on. It's just yeah. a, it's a thing where it comes out of a a passion. Yeah, you do it whether you get paid or not. You yeah. do it whether you feel great about it or not. You, you do it when when you're happy and when you're sad, and you just keep doing it. You know, and it's just so you know. I think I think a lot of that weeds a certain group of people out because yeah. maybe they thought that you know. They'd make a lot of money and be famous at it. You know, I think the number, I I work with artists a lot doing live music production. And one of the numbers I've heard is that one half of 1% of the world's artist population is actually signed to a record deal and making money. 
Mm-hmm. So, so the you know the stats would say why bother? Right. You know if you're in this for the business of it, it's a not a good business to get into. But that's never been the reason why we did it anyway. So yeah, yeah, I hear that. You both talked about like a feeling of that you're supposed to do this, that you're called to do this. Can uh-huh. you? recall when you first had that feeling or that 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 first moment of knowing that no matter what your life was in some capacity meant to go on this course where you always were creating music i i know go ahead yeah yeah i mean i got saved when i was 17 excuse me actually yeah 17 i was 17 and a band had come to my high school oh no way yeah yeah they were christians and they came and they played rock music, but they couldn't play everything lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics, but, right. you know, weeded out probably 90% of the songs. Well, maybe not that many back then, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but they came and they played at my high school and, and they just sort of befriended me and, um, and I got saved through them and then went on the road with that company that put those bands together. And, um, and when I was on the road, uh, that first year when I was 17, uh, I just went, this is, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Right. And it was because it was a mixture of doing great, you know, we were doing back in the day, like Rush and Led Zeppelin, whatever was popular at the time, right. you know, uh, 80s pop music and, and we were believers. Mm-hmm. So, but it wasn't ministry like going into a church. So our ministry was just to a lot to the, the kids we were playing at, playing at their high school. And if they came up to us after the show, we'd talk to them and say, and they go, something's different about you, mm-hmm. you guys. We, you know, I actually was the one who in the show gave the testimony, was, you know, maybe a minute or two long. It wasn't a big, you know, come down front, get saved, that whole thing. It was just like, this is who we are. This is what we believe. You know, and if you want to talk to us after the show, we'd love to talk with you about it. So it was like, to me, it was like the Lord putting that picture um, in me at the time. And I just went, this is what the rest of my life is supposed right. to look like. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, you know, just kind of dittoing what he said, different, different set of circumstances. But it's like, you know, I had a love for music as a kid. I went to church as a kid. I mean, I sang in church as a kid and, you know, as I got older, I mean, music is a wonderful communication tool. I mean, it is wonderful because you can, you can walls so easily for the most part come down because people like people for the most part, maybe they might not like the specific music you're doing, but music has a way of engaging with people a little easier than it is just to walk up uh, to them on the street. But it just opens a doorway, and we, I, both of us have been on the road with many different artists, and the power of, of the communication and the power of music is just, you can't, you can't beat it when it comes to just getting people to a place, not by forcing them, by, but if they can connect with you or to a song, or a melody or something, and they can kind of disarm that themselves and bring that wall down, and you can make them feel like, hey, you know, this. I feel like this song is for me personally, then 
you got you kind of get them in the palm of your hand and you have this wonderful way to communicate with them and that is uh that is why we feel like this is a calling you know we've been changed by lang's story was he had a band come to his school and pay, play a bunch of like rock tunes off the radio and somehow through all of that there was something transcendent that that got a hold of him and and that's what i think that's why we do was, what we do yeah it was the message like like i gave the testimony when i was on the road the, that same band had done the same thing when i was sitting there watching them yeah. play at my high school right and they they prayed with me and led me to the lord and uh not at the show but a few months, it's a long story, I won't go into it, but it was awesome. Yeah. Well, I gotta turn this train around and head the other way. Gonna leave behind the stuff that keeps me stuck in yesterday. Nothing's stopping me now in the fight for peace. Nothing's slowing me down in the fight for peace. Keep on pushing through. that you guys were a huge part of the Christian music industry, um, especially like in the early days when it was forming and really, I've had some people call it like the glory days and you guys were right. Yeah. You were right there in it and you saw everything. How did your time in the industry for, for good or bad, like shape and influence your faith and how you relate with God, if at all? I think that um, I saw Christian music being much more of a body ministry tool in churches. Um, and at the same time, Renee uh, got connected to a ministry called Prison Fellowship. Yeah. Um, wow. It was headed up by Chuck Colson. And so I saw it kind of being two, two sort of very kind of diametrically, I don't want to say opposed, that's not the right word, but very different. Right. On the one hand, it was very much body ministry oriented. Mm-hmm. Then, when her experience her experience with Amy though was it was in the mainstream. Right. You know, it was like they were doing shows right next door to Prince or to Tina Turner or whatever. But then later on, we were doing we did a lot of prison ministry, and so it really wasn't so much CCM. Again, it was really more just the music and whatever vehicle the music got to go go down to meet whoever it was aimed at. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was like it was never really necessarily something that I embraced CCM. I had I had seen God use music in my own life, and I wanted to do the same thing through music to affect other people in the same way I had felt affected. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up in church, and they did. Right. Or I mean, I grew up in a non-saved, you know, situation. Our church was not; they weren't believers, you know. It was, uh, but so for my my experience was really different, and I just never associated CCM as how I saw uh, or or how music affected me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not. Well, you know, one of the things that he mentioned is that you know. Uh, 
and there's obviously when people talk about the glory days of, of CCM music, you know, I don't want to sound like, Hey, we're a bunch of old people that just wanted to be the way it used to be. Cause I mean, obviously things change. And, but at the time when I was with, with Amy doing those tours, a lot of what she was doing, it was pretty amazing that her impact was having impact on people that were, were non-churched people and people that were church people. Yeah. It was a wonderful thing. And to me, I, you know, and it comes down to really what each person feels in their heart. I, for me, I just got the picture that, hey, you know what? God is a lot bigger than a box we try to put him in. Yep. And he wants to hear, he wants people to hear about him in right. the church, that's outside it. the church, yeah, everywhere that we want to take it. Now, the structure of Christian music, and I'm not blaming them for this, but the structure of a music industry is if you're a country artist, you pretty much stay in the country artist lane. If you're in Christian music, you pretty much stay in the Christian music lane, unless you're somebody like an Amy Grant, or today now you have Lauren Daigle. You have some people that sort of get outside the lane, and they do something that kind of breaks out of the mold of what most expectation is of people in the industry. So there was a bit of a, a rub to a certain degree because being that I had been involved with an artist who was having a huge impact outside the church. And I really, I, for me, I was like, okay, let's go. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, God, there's a big world out there and, and, and I think God would love to have us be out there, you know, yeah. making a difference, making an impact on people. That's not necessarily was was what some people uh, the they didn't they didn't share that necessarily. Yeah. So the cry of my heart in that whole time and that whole season that we were in CCM was to kind of break out of that kind of that encapsulated feeling and it, as you know you mentioned this I don't know if this has been your experience but sometimes when God calls us to stuff that's way bigger than where we are and we can feel it and sense it but sometimes we don't always know how to to break beyond that whatever that confined area or space is um, that that we find ourselves in the in the present time with Wish I was from both of you what's the most memorable song that you two recorded as bliss bliss what stands out to you now go building bridges modern world good i love how <laughs> the conviction you both said that with it's awesome i'm definitely playing them so good okay um what was the funniest moment that this can be answered together or separately whatever you prefer what's the funniest moment that you had when you were touring, this could be before or during Bliss Bliss, whatever you prefer. The funniest moment we had when touring. <laughs> I got one. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
did you ever see the movie Spinal Tap? I haven't, and I'm probably showing my age. I'm really, really sorry. Oh, you need to watch the okay. movie Spinal Tap. It's like it's called a mockumentary. Or oh a yes, rock yeah, and it's a little. And honestly, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a little, a little, it's a little rough with the language yeah, and stuff like that. But, anyway. but it's very funny. Awesome. It's um, <laughs> it's got funny bits. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, it was um about a British heavy metal band, fake British heavy metal band, oh my you know, gosh. made up. With a story about their history and how they, you know, how they started, and kind of, uh, you know, they have uh, a camera crew following them around, and so mm -hmm. it feels like it's, you know, very uh, sort of reality-based kind of a movie. But it was done like, golly, twenty years ago. Oh, it's been years a long ago. time, right? Yeah. But <laughs> in the movie, they play at Knott's Berry Farm, which is this like uh, amusement park out in California. Yeah, is it Knott's Berry Farm or yeah, that's Cleveland? No, Wait. that's really no. Well, the story I'm telling okay. because it ties to. <laughs> Right. Makes exactly. me so they play at Nutsbury Farm and they uh, <laughs> they walk up to the stage and there's a sign that says um, puppet show and spinal tap. Oh, yeah. You know, it was sort of like the end of, you know, the, like the, the career is, is really tapered off quite quickly. Fizzle. Yeah, it's kind know? of fizzling. And yeah. so now they're like playing like, you know, afternoon shows at you know Knott's Berry Farm and they're opening up for a puppet show and so they walk <laughs> up and they go I told him you know it's it was Spinal Tap and then puppet show you know, <laughs> you know they're really upset so Renee <laughs> Renee had a gig up in Indiana and we walked up and uh, it was it was this show at a park and well they were having like a family yeah, it was like, like a, a family weekend yeah it was, kind of yeah, it was just by like, the river or yeah, some yeah. river. and so <laughs> we walk up and and on the sign in front of the stage it said the mopo bears and renee garcia oh my gosh <laughs> you know, and i just looked and i went i told them it was supposed <laughs> to be renee garcia and the mopo bears <laughs> Yeah. And, and it was just hilarious because it just felt so much like Spinal Tap. I, we were both oh. laughing our butts off. The sad thing is that so much of our experiences <laughs> in music is like that. Spinal Tap. <laughs> and there was the whole thing that went on behind the oh, scenes yeah. there with like this woman who was in charge of that stage. And it was, oh my gosh, it's hilarious. It, it was like characters in a movie. Totally. It was totally really funny. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've never got an answer like that, and I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that I mean, oh my gosh, this woman. I just got to say this. So there was a woman who was in charge of the stage, and the green room was nothing more than a picnic table behind the stage. Right, that it was, was very, very small. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very small. And, and this woman's like a chain smoker, so she had this voice like that, ah, you know. And she she was like looking at these kids who were doing this mopo bear show was supposed to be Motown Productions, you know, like a jamboree, right. bear it's country. Oh, no. It's like 95 degrees it's, outside, oh, and yeah. they're, they're and dressed they're up wearing in these full, bear, bear suits. Full, oh, like, you know, amusement park kind of character, out, you know, suits. And she's going, get those kids out of those outfits. They're going to burn up. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah, no, we were just, everything <laughs> just did like, not just, like, we didn't want to laugh at her, but, but it, was it was very, very you funny. You know, she's chain-smoking. Get <laughs> those kids out of those outfits. Unbelievable. But if you could go back 
to, let's say, the moments uh, you both first stepped into a studio, whether it was uh, to record your own vocals, to do backups, to track something. Um, you hadn't quite started your own career yet, but it was sort of on the way. Knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself? Relax. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Relax. I would say that too. I'm, this is one thing that I, to me, going into the studio is like going to the doctor Mm -hmm. or a hospital (laughs) because it's so microscope in there. I mean, I think the first time I heard my voice, I was like, really? I was not happy. (laughs) And because my first major in the studio, like as a solo artist, I mean, it's a little different when you do background vocals because you're normally with other people, not all the time, but usually when I did background vocals, I was singing with other people. That's different. When you go in, when I had to go to England and actually cut the lead vocals for a record, it was, you know, it was a whole different experience. And it was, it was exciting and scary and at the same time, but I'm never, here's what the crazy thing is. I, I love, if I have to pick between the studio and playing, singing live, I'll pick singing live any day or doing over singing in the studio. I still don't enjoy it as much, uh, even, even though I've had a lot of experience with it. I still don't like the studio as much as I like singing live. Yeah. And Lang will tell you that. It's like, That's it's almost truth. like I'm getting like my tonsils taken out or I'm in a hospital and I've got a hospital gown on or something and it's cold and it's, you know, that, that's what the studio feels like to me. And some people live for that. I, I don't care for it. How did you feel about being in the studio the first time? I just was really nervous. I, I gosh, I think the first record I played on was, was Jeff Moore in the Distance. That might have been the very first full record that I played. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had a blast. I loved it. Uh-huh. I, I, I probably like being in the studio more than she. Yeah, does. I would attest that he does. He he definitely likes. I, that. I enjoy it because to me it's it's in a creative process that I just I love hearing ideas, songs come together with other musicians who who can play stuff I would never think of. It's just the coolest. Mm-hmm. So I really like that part of it, but I love playing live too. Mm-hmm. Was a fool to think I'd make you bend. I'll drop a knee. I'll make a man. Put my pride up on the shelf My words, they seem to come out wrong But my heart's as true as the day is long Can I make a difference now? The bridge I thought I built Could change it all I'm seeing cracks upon your wall Aren't they legends? Before this point, I had never heard of Langley's or Renee Garcia. But they are brilliant. And when I did my research, I realized that they are everywhere in like the golden years of Christian music. And I was so honored to have talked to them. They are so talented, so genuine and so nice. And they are really authentic people. They mean what they say. They are genuinely talented. And you would have heard a couple of their older tracks from the 80s and 90s in there. If you can hear like the depths of soul in them, that's also like repeated in their current tracks. It's really cool. It's not something we hear a lot today. You only get it in a few singers. And the fact that they're willing to share that with us, 
is pretty cool. If you would like to get their latest single, What's Going On, go for it. It's available now on all streaming platforms and you will find a link in our show notes below if you would like to download it. You can also follow Bliss Bliss online. Just go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube and search Bliss Bliss Music. They would love to connect with you. That is it for another show, guys. If you love what you hear, if you feel like you're at home when you hear the stories of these incredible people who make music for a living and you're like, oh my gosh, someone else thinks like me and has experienced the same struggle as me, would you consider rating us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? It just means that people see us, that we rise in the charts and that these incredible stories actually get shared to a wider audience. We would love five stars and if you would like to write in a few notes about how much you love us and Australian accents or whatever, we will be totally open to that. We also have some merchandise available. The link to it is in our show notes or just go on our website betweenyouandmepod.com and click the merch link. That is all, guys. Please subscribe to us. We're at Between You and Me Pod. Let us know what you think. Tell us what guests you want. We have legitimately recorded enough content for the next probably three or four months already, and it is stellar. I'm so excited for what this next year of Between You and Me holds and so excited that we can share it together. So thank you. Thank you for the real talk, for hearing, for listening, for being open to awkward conversations and for being open to love in the midst of it all. It is such a privilege to do life with you guys every week. My name is Jessica Morris, and I will see you very soon. Take care. See my reflection, all these voices welling up inside. I'm caught up somewhere in between the truth and all the lies. So many things that I'm believing, starting to realize. Listening to the Between You and Me podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to Jesuswire.com.